Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I'm Mike Pownell, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, our podcast relating all things human resources in the veterinary profession. Uh, once again, I'm joined by Katie Arline. Hey, Katie, how are you doing? Hey, Mike, not bad, thanks. And we have a very special guest. As many of you know, about a month ago, I was in Dubai with my partner at Oculus, uh, Dr. Joop Lomans from the Netherlands. And we were working with a couple of practices that we were working with, but we also visited a lot of practices. And we had the uh, great opportunity to visit the veterinary hospital. And we met Dr. Farah Murani and just absolutely impressed by her attitude towards how she manages people. And it was very simpatico to how Katie and I approach things. So we invited uh, Farah along uh, to join us. So Farah, welcome. Thank you for having me. Very long distance podcast. It's about an eight mm -hmm. hour time difference. That's fun. I know when Yop and I were there, I mean, there was so many differences in terms of what buildings look like and how the vet practices look physically. But yet, like a lot of things, there's a lot of similarities too. But before we get into the world of the vet profession and the differences and the similarities, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your background as a veterinarian. So I was born and raised in Iraq. I went to Baghdad University College of Veterinary Medicine. I graduated in 1999. And within a couple of years of me starting my career and being, you know, all optimistic and, and all of that, then the, the Gulf, whatever, the, the third, fourth, whatever Gulf War happened. So 2003 was, was an interesting year. I had already just opened my own private practice with a, with a colleague and we were, you know, just feeling our way into the world of veterinary medicine. And then this happened. So obviously we had to shut down, like kind of this almost dissolve everything within a very short period of time. And then my career took a major turn when I volunteered in the Baghdad Zoo right after the, the events. That kind of was a trajectory of a lot of different things in my life. But that's the summary. <laughs> right. And so after that, I know you, you sort of spent many years working with wildlife and zoo animals then. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what led you to become a vet? I grew up in a vet family. So my uncle, he was a professor at the university where I studied genetics and statistics. My aunt is a vet. So my mother was working in the veterinary, the pharmacology department. So I kind of grew up running in the, in the corridors of, the, of my later on became vet school. So I kind of fell into it, partly passion, partly just because this is what I knew and what I enjoyed. and then. It just kind of became a career, really. So I, I didn't really have much choice. 
sort of preordained <laughs> family business. Yeah, exactly. But I enjoyed it. I mean, I had a bit of an upper hand that it wasn't daunting because it was the corridors that I, I used to run in as, as a, honestly, like as a little girl. Um, most of my professors were my parents' friends. So it was just this kind of like, oh, do I call them auntie and uncle or do I call them like, <laughs> it's just. That's a whole other layer of pressure. It's not as if you have to do well in school, but you have oh family God. friends that are looking at you. I, I oh wouldn't want to be God. in that position. Talk about like under the microscope. Honestly, it was it was it was fun at times, but it was so hard. And I had to attend. I had to have perfect attendance in all my classes. Yeah, so it was a lot of added pressure. But I guess it it made me a better vet in the end. So I guess. So how did you end up in Dubai? Another detour, really. I mean, I have to say, like most of the the, the things that happened in my life were were not really decisions that I intentionally set out to take. I just took alternative routes to other things. And then, you know, so Dubai was one of those. I was actually meant to go and work in in Oman, in Muscat. And uh, the visa took time. It was complicated. My work permits were complicated and all that kind of thing. So the vet that I was meant to go work for in Oman, she said to me, well, I feel really bad because you've now given notice to your job in South Africa and all that kind of things. I have a friend in Dubai who's looking for a vet. Would I be keen to go to Dubai? and give it a try. And I was like, well, actually, Dubai was never on my radar to go live and work and whatever. But uh, sure, I mean, it's a job. And uh, that was my very first round of working in Dubai in 2008. Uh, And then escalated from there. So I did that. And then I moved to Oman afterwards. And I did four and a half years in Oman in the place where I was meant to. (laughs) And then uh, returned to Dubai in 2016 until now, obviously. Excellent. So tell us about the veterinary hospital and your role there. It's a very commanding name for a veterinary hospital, but I know there's a lot of history about it. There is, yeah. So it is the first, the very first veterinary service provider that opened in Dubai back in 1977. And therefore, it was called the veterinary hospital because there was nothing else. So not not much of creativity in the name. It was more of a, like, this is what we offer. And it's been open ever since. Uh, so we're 45 years old and we're very proud of, of it <laughs> and working there. It used to uh, to serve a larger kind of, let's say, species kind of selection. So it used to do birds, avian, equine, falconry, all that kind of. But then over time, it just became um, more of a small animal hospital. There is a legacy because one of the, the well, the owner now, he, he used to work at the hospital for about... Uh, 20 plus years and then now he's owned it for another 25 plus years so it hasn't really had that many uh, turnover of ownership so the core values remained the, the the principles remained and then we hire based on those values really and i think we've been lucky this far i can see katie smiling there that <laughs> you're hiring on values because that's really what our our mantra is as well yeah, I think that's a great segue into our next question, which is, tell us a bit about your role. I know it's it's a bit of a unique one uh, for a DVM to be fulfilling at a hospital. Tell us a little bit about what you do. What is it that I don't do? <laughs> <laughs> it would be a shorter list. I pretty much do everything, to be honest with you. So, I mean, obviously, being a, a veterinary background and having been practicing vet for so long, I just reached a stage in in my, let's say, career that I thought, you know what, I feel like I can do more. And I also want to remove myself a little bit from the day-to-day tasks of, of, of a consulting, like a first opinion bit. 
So I decided to do my postgrad certificate, um, which I did with Liverpool University. And it's an amazing program for anyone who actually is looking. Just close your eyes, do it. It's fantastic. But I got lucky because then I immediately after finishing got this current job that I'm in as a practice manager. So I got to put everything that I learned into into action almost immediately. So the role involves everything. So I manage I, I manage the, the human resources part of it. I manage the purchases and inventory and stock part of it. The vets, obviously, over, overseeing them, the nursing team, client relations. It's an overarching role, really. It's a lot of responsibility. And sometimes it's, it's tasking because you don't know where to, which part do you give yourself to the most, you know. But at the end of the day, it all needs to be done and they all tie in together. So I, I feel someone uh, jokingly, maybe um, affectionately referred to me as the octopus manager. <laughs> and I will always remember it because they said, like, you've got your tentacles everywhere. You cannot be in one place. I see that. I am I am that person. <laughs> but it's in my nature too. I want to know what's going on because if I can make it better, then I let me get involved and, and help you make it better. It's a bit of everything really on a daily basis. And the next day you just do it all over again with a better outcome, hopefully. I try to be involved in everything if I can. Mm-hmm. So you, you talked uh, just a moment ago about, you know, hiring based on core values and all that stuff. So tell me, uh, you know, I have an inkling about what your philosophy is as far as managing people goes, but can you let us know sort of where you're coming from in that regard? Again, with this current position, I, I did have to hire a fair bit of people. Not, not that many. I mean, I mean, I was telling the guys when they were visiting us, we're lucky because the majority of our, our staff have been with us for a long, long time. Like, you know, our vets have been with us for 14 years and counting. Um, the nurses, the same thing. So the, the few people that left us, in fact, I was having this conversation today because we had a staff meeting. But the few people who left us, left us because they moved back to their home countries, not left us because they were like bleak with the circumstances and work conditions and wanted to leave. So I take great pride in, in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the people that I then had to interview to replace and take on, I already had higher expectations and I had a very, very uh, tough selection process because they needed to fit what we are and who we are. Plus, obviously, ideally bring something with them to, to the table. It's tough hiring in Dubai because you don't always get lucky with having people with veterinary background. So they've either worked elsewhere and and you get lucky, but then they also come to you with, let's say, preconceived ideas and or things that they were already drilled into them in another place. And then you need to have to like override that and install like the, the, the things that you want. We got lucky because we found people outside the industry that they had the right attitude that then they were actually suitable for us. So for me, it's just, finding the people with the right attitude that we can build on and giving them the veterinary background knowledge is actually something that we can work with because if they don't have the right attitude, I just can't work with them. Like you, you can't, where do you go from there? You know? And that's, that's an important thing that I look for. And I don't know, again, maybe I have a, a, a good luck or maybe a sharper selection process, but I, I just know immediately, you know, I mean, you talk to me for two seconds and I know you're going to work out or not. I don't know if people have that, or I hope, I hope so. <laughs> but for me, it's like sometimes, sadly, I had to even go through a little bit of the, the interview process because I just felt bad. Like, you know, they've come all the way to interview, but I already knew that they're not going to work out. But, and I was in the end like, listen, it's, it's thank you for coming, but I don't want to waste your time. And this is, this is the, the way it is. Some might think I'm a bit blunt with that, but there's no need to not tell it as it is. You know, you're either suitable or you're not. So 
I feel it's it's fair to them and fair to my time and their time not to keep their hopes up and so on. So I think a little bit of bluntness is not a bad thing. <laughs> no, no, I totally sure. agree with you. <laughs> because honestly, there's not enough time in the day to waste to try and absolutely. It is what it is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a transaction. But so tell us about what veterinary practice is like in Dubai. I know a little bit because I visited it, but it's a unique area. Yes. And I want to sort of bring this into, you know, I, I was caught when you said that you've had vets that have been with you for over 10 years in Dubai. And then I know in North America and in Europe, people are struggling to keep vets in practices. And we'll get into the challenges of, of recruiting and retaining vets and support staff in Dubai. But let's set the, the, the scene of what veterinary practice is like in Dubai, because I think a lot of people probably have some ideas or some have heard myths about it. So what's, what's it really like? Well, there is a rainbow range of, of everything you can imagine. So there is the, the top range that's like extremely great and in all ways, like, you know, the outcome, the, the case resolutions, the way they treat people and patients, pricing, all that kind of thing. And there is the ones that are like sadly existing. I, I believe that this is the same in pretty much everywhere in the world. And then there's the mid range that kind of they are good to a point, but then they're arrogant and not wanting to admit that they can't go beyond that kind of level of knowledge. And they are the ones that are mid-range and they're actually wonderful and they work well with other uh, clinics and hospitals to say, listen, this is where we know, like they tell their clients, go see so-and-so in another place. Or for example, to come to the veterinary hospital to see so-and-so because they know that they're going to see it through and so on. So there's a, a mix of, obviously there's a lot of different nationalities to start with in terms of like where the vets and the, the vet stuff come from pretty much from all over the world. You name it, there is an actual person from from that country who's practicing veterinary medicine here. The regulations are in place. They're not always as strict as we want them to be in terms of like, like for example, the registration exam for to practice in the UAE is not really the hardest exam, like compared to the North American veterinary one or the Royal College, for example, or it really doesn't stand. So it's, it's relatively easy to do. And therefore, I feel that it's not an enough of a selection criteria to narrow down the selection to like the people who are actually really, really good. So then those people go and start practicing. And then we start seeing some good things, some bad things. You know, it's it's a very mixed market. Then it comes to the level of knowledge and education and learning from when you went to university, where you went to university. Uh, so some people have top-notch kind of standard because that's been the level that they received at the level of education and the and the hands-on practice is amazing. And you've got the ones that they just genuinely got unlucky from where they came from versus what they've been given, exposed to, that kind of thing. There's all of that. And then you've got the people who want to improve themselves and get better and learn. And they've got the ones who are just set in their own old ways and my way or the highway type thing. But then it's, unfortunately, it's the client and the patient that gets lost in that attitude. So it can be a very pleasant market, like a business here, but it can also be very, very frustrating. It's just how you how you take it and what you make of it is down to the individuals, I think, or the let's say the, the individual vets themselves and also the individual business or the clinic itself. Again, what values you, you believe in, what what you want to get out of it, how how much you want to give to the client. Do you actually talk about other people or not? Like we see it all, I promise mm-hmm. you. It's <laughs> One thing I found interesting, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, I think, applies to whatever country you're in. But what caught me is that 
like other than i don't know the exact percentage is less than 20 percent of the population is actually from the emirates oh yeah everybody else everybody else that we met in the vet profession is not from the emirates they're from everywhere i mean they have the vet school and they just had their first graduating class but i would say 99.9 percent of the vets are from everywhere else yeah so there are no emirati vets except for one uh, he uh, he works for the government now, but he was working in Al Ain Zoo before. He went to a university in Hungary or uh, Bulgaria or Hungary. I can't remember. He's the only like official. The the one the university in Al Ain. I mean, they're graduating now. Like you're right, the the first batch, I think. But it's more veterinary science rather than veterinary medicine and surgery kind of thing. I I just I don't think the curriculum is graduating like hands-on practicing veterinarians. So yes, it's just starting. I don't know if they will incorporate like because I have I, I have some people who are teaching in that university, and it's not a full-on comprehensive, let's say, veterinary program that they can graduate and can operate and do all sorts of things. You know, uh, so yes, it's very limited, and we're all expats from all over the world. Same with the nursing uh, nursing teams and and all of that. So it, it's it's very noticeable and palpable and. It can create some issues, but can also work nicely to to our advantage at at times, you know. So it's a very very diverse, let's say, society when it comes to the the professionals. You said that uh, it's a very diverse and global workforce that's available uh, in Dubai. So what are some of the challenges that you have recruiting and retaining vets and support staff? So salaries is is the biggest challenge, mm. of of course. <laughs> Everywhere. Sometimes you you have the right candidates and you just want them and they're going to fit perfectly and you, yeah, uh, but then their salary kind of bracket or expectations versus what you're actually willing or able to offer them is is completely not matching and you end up kind of missing out on that. Sometimes it's it's the bottom line of like so there are other clinics that I don't know how but I I know that there are other clinics that they are offering astronomical kind of salaries for what what they should be offering. So they're kind of ruining the, the market for, for the rest of us, which then you now find yourself competing to get the, the, the best out of those people before they go to the other place. But again, knowing what I know, nine out of 10 of those people get recruited because the salary is amazing. And then within, within their probation period, I start getting emails from them saying, actually, you know, the grass is not greener. Can we be considered for a lesser sal- like for what you are offering us? We don't mind because they can see that there is a, a difference in, in the, it's not, it's not all about the money. Yeah. Okay. We're all here to, to get a decent living. You balance it out with your work environment, with the time off that you get, with the hours worked, with all that kind of thing. The labor law here is, is not too clear, to be honest with you. It's always a gray area. I mean, we, we sometimes, I read it sometimes a million times, just try and make sense of the sentence and which way can I go with it? And it's like, it's not too clear, but it's vague enough to confuse everyone. And to be like interpreted as you wish it to be. So then, then this becomes tricky when it comes to recruiting and all of that because they they say they're going to give you however much salary, but then your work hours and whatever is like ridiculous, and so on. So it just ruins it for for the rest of us. For me, I mean, I haven't really had to deal with hiring vets except for one, but I kind of like almost headhunted her. I used to work with her before. And when I knew like before it became public that we had a position, I went directly to her and I was like, I want you like, you know, and she joined us and, and it was the best decision I've ever made. So 
but from a nursing point of view and the reception kind of point of view, that's the one that I had to deal with more often than, than I'd like. And it's just a tricky one because they're really good, but then you can't afford them. And what you can afford is not always up to scratch, but then, but then this is where my kind of approach of, of having the right attitude that actually, actually we can afford you, you have the right attitude, you fit in well as a, as a human being, I can work with the rest of it. We can train you, we can get the most out of you, we can build you up and, and that kind of thing, because then, then it's okay. Then you become, over the years, you become invaluable, right? And hopefully we keep that person and that's been the case. So, Can you share what the limitations are, or what, I guess the word is requirements, because it's a different requirement for veterinarians in terms of how many years they've been in practice. It's not like you can just graduate vet school and where I am yeah. and in Canada and start tomorrow in, in, in the UAE. Yeah, so for a, a veterinarian to be uh, having the uh, the practice license here to practice, you have to have had five years of actual practical experience after graduation. So if you graduated and worked in a in a lab for five years, that doesn't actually count. You need to have like clinical practical experience for five years post graduation to be considered for the license. If you have two years between two and five years, then you can be hired as a what they call a veterinary assistant. So you can do certain things, but you can't do other things unless you are supervised, but you can't really do things on your own, that kind of thing. But the minimum requirements, yeah, it's, it's five years of, of actual practical experience post-graduation. That's the big thing here for, for the UAE. The rest is, is, the, is the usual, like you have to, to have your equivalency paper. So you have the university papers um, attested and then kind of, if it's a different language, then translated to English and then sent through like the embassies and all of that. Your, the country of your graduation to be sent to the Ministry of Higher Education here in order to kind of neutralize it or get the equivalency that, okay, you have a degree that is equivalent to what we expect. And mm-hmm. then, so it's, it's a bit of a process to get those papers done. Once you have those papers, the rest is actually okay. Then you register for the exam, for the licensing exam, and it just rolls from, from there. The rest is fine. And you obviously, I mean, and you don't need to have a job offer to do all of that. You can't, like, I know a lot of, of vets who have moved to Dubai, either joined a spouse or something. They're just doing it um, anyway, just to have. So you don't require a job offer to be able to process your papers. Once you process your papers, you become gold because most clinics want to hire you if you have your uh, your equivalency papers because the hassle of doing it, it's just, it's consuming. So, you know, if, if you have it, then you've already fast forwarded your your employment by like 10 times. So what's the attraction of Dubai? Because I know before I went there, I mean, you hear these, oh, they pay you a lot. You don't pay taxes. I mean, that's one aspect. But as you said, you've had vets staying there for 14 plus years. Why Dubai? So yes, of course. I mean, the salaries, all in all, the salaries are good and yeah, no tax. But all that aside, it's, it's, the, it's the quality of life. So we, we often refer to it, people who've lived here before or they're still living here. It's all referred to as as the bubble. So we we feel like we are living in a bubble. It's a beautiful bubble. <laughs> it's not real life. Mm-hmm. Living in Dubai is not real life. And and I know from when I moved back to South Africa in between jobs, and I know from friends who moved back to their home countries, when we communicate with each other, it's like it's not real life here. But when you leave it and you realize it's like, oh, what do you mean I don't have a gardener that comes six days a week. What do you mean? I don't have my car washed every day for very little money. What do you like? It's it's silly little things, but then when you add them on, it, you, we realize how spoiled we are. 
it's obviously very, very safe, like in terms of the actual human safety, like you can stay out late at night, your doors are unlocked, especially families with, with children or, you know, if, if they started single and now they have children, it's a super safe environment for, for bringing up a family. It's, let's say, I mean, maybe, what do I say? It's user-friendly <laughs> because it just, it just, life is easy here. Like I know we call them champagne problems because <laughs> there's the things that people moan about is unrealistic when you look at the, the bigger picture of what actual problems are. It's a smooth life, like you really feel comfortable. So when you add a good income to it, you add a quality of life, you go out for five stars, first class dining, um, all these kind of experiences, it, it adds up to become, actually, it's, it's quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. You can travel pretty much anywhere you want in the world for not a lot of money because it's quite central as well. So that adds to the lifestyle of, of people. Like I know our vets, they love going away as, as many times as, as they can throughout the year. And sometimes it's just a quick trip. Which vet doesn't want to go for four days to the Maldives for like a, a refresher and to come back? But you mm-hmm. can do that here because it's it's nearby and, and somewhat affordable, like with what you get earning and, and so on. So it's appealing, right? Like, right? You know, I just think of the, um, you know, American veterinarians that have such a high debt load that Dubai or Abu Dhabi would be just great places for them to go because you can make money at a minimal tax rate and pay your debt off. Absolutely. And clear your debt. Yeah. No, and that's what happens because a lot of a lot of the people come here. Yes, obviously incurred a lot of debt, and but but you can clear it quickly within. I don't know. I mean, it depends if you have a decent salary. Depending on your debt, I think within five years you can you can clear your debt, and you still had a good quality of life in between. It's not mm-hmm. like you were eating pot noodles for <laughs> for right. the five years, you know. So yes, it's, it's from that point of view, it's it's very appealing, and that's why we have we have a lot of international vets coming in. And if if the going is good and the job is good and they're happy. Very few people think of leaving or changing jobs because why would you, you know? Yeah. Plus the, the, the annual leave is, especially as our vets, we get 45 days off paid. I mean, a year. That's and plus public holidays, plus all that kind of things that we get CPD allowance, we get CPD days off, uh, all that kind of thing. So collectively, when you add it on, you're like, okay, that sounds, that sounds amazing, yeah. you know? Right. So it's appealing in many ways. Uh, and I think also we get away with a lot here in terms of like the, the clientele are as much as we think they're actually difficult or demanding or, or when they are, trust me, um, comparing them to like having worked in, in South Africa or like in the, in the US or like I hear from my colleagues have worked in the UK and so on. We get away with a lot here. Like there's a lot of allowances and forgiveness and everything as opposed to like the it's not a litigious society. Let's put it this way. So people are not out to, yeah, okay, social media sometimes gets a bit kind of nasty, but it is what it is. But it's not a litigious society where like they can go and just hang you dry to the veterinary council or it's comfortable. I mean, even though and like you feel like you're not, you're not supposed to make any mistakes or anything, but you're comfortable. Like mm-hmm. you're not worried about like who's going to bite you basically. <laughs> you can be a human. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You can say like, "Look, I I made a mistake. Listen, let's talk about it." It's like people are a bit more open, I think, to it and amenable to it than like I would compare it to the states. It's like, "Oh no, I'm just gonna go and like complain or." or. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the level of like it's not as hectic and as intense and as pressuring as maybe other parts of the world. Right. 
Yeah. This has been fascinating. I'm glad we had the chance to to touch base again. I really, I know you open, I really enjoyed visiting your practice and all the other practices we visited well. And, you know, there's so many differences and yet a lot of similarities. And I know, you know, as you're talking here, as you hire for the attitude, and that's actually why we hire our, our podcast is hire the smile is we're hiring the attitude. Yeah. The rest you can just train, you know, and so. Exactly. Hire for attitude, train for skills, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. So we're in the uh, listener question portion of our podcast and love to get a question here. We have one from a listener in Switzerland. The question is, dear Dr. Panel, how have you implemented the four-day work week in your practice? Going from five to four days means for me a wage increase of 20% because the staff would be working four instead of five days for the same salary. That's a great question. And that is something that I stressed about that very first year. So let me just give some context. You've heard us talk a lot about employee engagement surveys. So we did an employee engagement survey on our practice, the first one we did. And what we found is our vets scored about 10 percentage points lower than our support staff. And looking at the comments, it really told us that the vets were just tired. They were getting burnt out, just relentless pace. And we knew we had to do something. So we're an equine practice. And we looked at other practices in the area, primarily companion animal practices. And we saw that vets worked maybe three, four days a week. And we're like, you know, if we're going to be competitive in this market, we've got to be able to offer the same kind of wages, hours that a companion animal practices have. So I just, I bit the bullet. It was one of those things like we have to do it because if we don't do it, we're going to lose fence. It was simple as that. And so I sort of came up with the idea. I said to everybody, I was like, let's go to a four-day work week. We're going to pay you the same. But my thesis was that you're going to be happier. You're going to be uh, enjoying practice more. And by virtue of that, you'll be more productive. It was all on cross fingers and a prayer that this would happen. Yeah. So yeah, basically we did increase salaries by 20% or because we had, you know, 20% less capacity for vets to do services. And every single month I'd compare to the previous year to see how our, our revenue was doing. And I thought, yeah, we'll be down at least 10, 15%, you know, at the end of the year, our sales were up 13%. So 20% less capacity, our sales were up 13%. And so what explains that? I think a couple of things. One is our vets were happier. And because they're happier and they're enjoying life more, they did more and they were more engaged. And so I, I would think of it before, like you're busy and you're like, oh, I should do this test. I don't have time. I got a full, I got a bunch of other appointments and I'm just going to, you know, next time, yeah, next time. Now it was like, well, you know what? We've got to do that all for sale. Let's do it. And the vets were less stressed, so they were communicating more of clients. And so it was just overall just a better attitude. And ever since our sales have gone up uh, every year, we've been uh, enjoying on an annual growth rate of 9% each year. In preparing to answer this, I was like, you know, it's not good enough for me to just talk about what we have done for four-day work week. But just there's an article from Forbes magazine that we'll post. And it said why companies should consider a four-day week. And it just uses a lot of examples of different countries, different industries, different companies that they all find that going to a four-day work week has a lot of benefits. It reduces overhead and costs in some places because you're using less electricity, less 
supplies, what have you. It helps to attract and retain talent. And so I think an equine practice, at least now it's a given, you've got to work four days and companion animal practice is something similar, even sometimes three days. The main thing is that it does increase productivity and it really increases uh, well-being. So example, in 2019, Microsoft in Japan tested reducing the work week by one day. It led to a 40% boost in productivity. Uh, Same thing, same results uh, in New Zealand and a company. Iceland has been trying a four-day work week without a pay cut and improve workers' well-being and productivity. And so, you know, if we're trying to retain people and we're facing burnout in our profession, uh, I think these are the kind of things we need to look at. So, yeah, I, I, I can not not encourage this. And so that's how it worked for us. Hope I answered your question and, and thank you very much. And if anybody else has any questions related to HR about their practice or things we discuss, please reach out to us. You can go to our website at oculusinsights.net or email us at info at oculusinsights.net. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.